Let's pray for the word tonight. Father, tonight in Jesus' name, we pray for revelation. I pray, Lord, for truth. That's what we pray for, that we get a revelation of truth in our, in, in our spirit, man, that we might rise up in faith to do the things that you call us to do. Lord, we know this, that, that through our God, we shall do valiantly. It's he that treads down the enemy. Lord, we know that it's time for the church to rise up. It's time for the people of God to take a stand in spite of the noise of the enemy. So, Father, tonight we pray for revelation knowledge that comes to us by the Spirit of God. We thank you for that spirit of revelation tonight in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. In our, in our, la, in our other group, I was teaching and at the end of that a couple of times ago, I had talked about repentance. We had talked about revival. And so uh, someone asked the question. They said, in, in, in light of repentance, they said, and what does repentance look like? That was a pretty interesting question, I thought. What does it look like? The follow-up question was, what does revival look like? And I, I really didn't have an answer for them. And so the question is, what does repentance look like? What does revival look like? So I began to pray about it, and I'll tell you what it looks like. We don't know. We don't know. If, we, if there was a certain look to repentance or a certain look to revival, then you could imitate it. And I'm going to tell you something. We don't need imitated repentance, and we don't need imitated revival. We need the real thing. Remember a few years ago, there was a, a, a revival uh, at a church in Pensacola, Florida. Remember that? Anybody remember that deal? And, 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 and I remember uh, there was another one in Toronto, but this one in Pensacola uh, was unusual. In, 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 it had lots of earmarks of great revival. But when the Spirit of God fell in that place, there was a young lady, and she began to rock. She began to rock back and forth, and that was a sign of the moving of the spirit. Well, she rocked and, and, and trembled when she spoke. Uh, and I mean, God was all over that girl. Well, and then as time went, others began to do the same thing. They began to rock and they began to tremble when they spoke. And much of it was the moving of the spirit. In the end of that revival, however, uh, everybody was rocking. And everybody was trembling when they spoke because... They were just imitating that, and so you couldn't tell the difference between the moving of the Spirit and, and somebody just imitating what was going on. A lot of it was just a reaction to what they were feeling, and so they rocked, and, and, and that's what they did. You remember when people were falling under the power at every meeting you went to? Remember that? I mean, man, I mean, at one point, every Spirit-filled meeting you went to, people fell. When the preacher prayed for them, they went down and they fell. The only problem is, after a while, it was being imitated everywhere. You know, I always told them, I said, it doesn't matter how you fall. What matters is how you walk when you get up. And when you can walk with God after you get up, that, that's the indication that something happened when you were down there. But I noticed a lot of people were falling, and they were down on the ground, and they'd stay there for some time. When they got up, there was no change. They were the same person they were. That, I mean, they, they just were there getting a rest, I'm thinking. I'm not sure. And it was impressive that the Lord would, would knock them down. Soon in that time frame, preachers were pushing people down. 
I mean, they'd pray for you and they'd start pushing against you. When they started doing that to me, I started leaning up toward them. Because they weren't gonna they weren't gonna push me down. God can knock me down anytime he wants to. But I'm not just gonna go down. They were blowing on people even. You know, this one preacher was, oh, and people would fall down. That's okay as long as it's God that knocks people down. It became a status symbol, so sort of, for if you were a preacher, like how many people fell with you today? <laughs> well, I had nine. How many did you have? Well, you know, that's just all silliness. And, and you know, Tammy and I made a commitment early on. I mean, the, the Lord has knocked me down. I mean, one time in particular, God knocked me down. And, I mean, when I got up, things my whole life was different because of it. And uh, and that's good. That's good. But we made a commitment years ago that if they were going to knock us down, we weren't going down. I mean, we kind of got out of the spirit if they started making us go down, but we weren't going to go down because they made us. We were in a meeting one time, and there was a famous preacher, and, and he was he was very dramatic, and he was waving his hand across the room. Everybody was falling. Everybody. Well, we were right in the middle, and he waved his hand. Everybody around us fell. We didn't fall because we made a commitment that, God, if you knock us down, we're going down, but we're not going to imitate something because an imitation is what you want. I don't know if you remember the laughing movement. Remember that? We had the laughing. And that was great at first. I mean, there was this cleansing thing of the spirit. After a while, though, it became annoying to me because people would laugh and distract others from hearing the teaching of the word, and that's where faith was going to come, and that's where freedom was going to be. If it's real, it's good. If it's fake, it's not. The gold flake movement. Remember the gold flake movement? Man, see, I've been around a long time. They'd have gold flakes. And people would be out there and they'd find the gold flake on the person in front of them, like looking for fleas on another monkey. And they would <laughs> they would find this gold flake. And they'd go, oh, and they'd get all excited. They're showing the gold. Well, you know what? When you're teaching the word, that's not the time for people to be starting getting excited about a gold flake on somebody. Because it's the faith. This is the, this is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith, not the gold flakes. Now, if you get enough gold to pay the mortgage, that's good. I'd, I'd, I'd be really excited. That's The first time it ever happened was a church in South America, and they had enough gold, and it paid the mortgage. And that's a good thing. Okay, that's a very good thing. But, you know, I'm sorry. I don't mean to give you my personal opinions all the time, but I mean all kinds of things. Listen, every revival will look different. The charismatic renewal looked different when the nuns in South Bend, Indiana got spirit-filled than when the hippies in Southern California got spirit-filled. And it all occurred about the same time. It was all a part of the same movement, but they couldn't imitate one another. They were too far away from one another. I mean, the, the charismatic renewal was different than, than the, the revival on Azusa Street, which was different from the Welsh revivals. They all are different because every revival is a move of God, and he's not going to give you the formula so you can imitate something. We need a real, real move of God. I mean, if it, if it, if it, all, if it all was the same, we'd be looking for an experience. If I can just get this experience. And I've noticed that people who've been through the charismatic renewal, they want to replicate an experience from the 60s and 70s. God ain't going to do it that way. I can already tell He is so creative. I mean, you know, he did one revival and he used a, a black man who only had one eye and shook the world. Another revival... 
He used a preacher, a stuffy preacher who got a bunch of hippies saved. And in the, while they were rioting on the campuses in Southern California, this preacher named Chuck Smith got a bunch of hippies in his church and he was shocked when they came. And God came and these hippies who had been rioting are now worshiping God. Oh, there's hope for our country. I'm just going to tell you that right now. If God can take them from the riot to the, to the church and get them spirit-filled, that's, that's the important part. Repentance will look different in everyone. To some people, repentance is full of crying and, and full of, 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 of just being at the altar in tears. Other people, repentance is no tears at all, but a, but a resolution that comes. Because the word repentance, the Greek word is metanoia, which means meta means change, noia means mind. Repentance is having a change of mind. Repentance may or may not be emotional. I mean, just because somebody next to you is not crying doesn't mean they're not repenting. And so, so what it will look like for one may not look like that for everyone. But we know this. While there's not a formula, there's a pattern. And let me give you the pattern. Acts chapter 3, verse 18 says this. 18, 19, and 20. 18 says this. But those things which God before had showed by the mouth of all his prophets that Christ should suffer, he hath so fulfilled. That's talking about the Old Testament. He fulfilled it. And talking about through, the, through Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. Verse 19. Repent ye therefore and be converted that your sins may be blotted out when the times of refreshing shall come from the presence of the Lord. That's talking about the present. And verse 20 is talking about the future. And he shall send Jesus Christ, which before was preached unto you. Okay, so in the middle of this is talking about times of refreshing. The word refreshing in the Greek is the same as the word for revival. Okay, times of revival. There are times of revival. Here's the pattern. He said, he said, he says, repent ye therefore. Repent, as I said, means to change your mind. To change your mind. Now, it's, it's referring to sin. Yes, but it's also referring to complacency. It's referring to religion. It says, change your mind. Change your mind and be converted. The word converted means to revert to the true worship of the one true God. Jesus said there's a time when he'll be worshipped in the spirit and in truth. Okay, It's worship. It's repent and worship. Repent and and worship, now this isn't a formula you can just go to. And it says your sins will be blotted out. Sin means to miss the mark. Blotted out means to smear out, be washed away, be erased, wiped out, and obliterated. Isn't that awesome that your sin can just be obliterated? All of, all of, your, all of the things the church has been lackadaisical about can be obliterated. And it, says, and it says when times are refreshing. It literally says in the Greek, so that times of refreshing can come from the presence of the Lord. So times of revival will come. Listen, I believe that God is ready now to send a fantastic revival in the earth. I don't think it's coming the way you think it's going to come. Just going to tell you that. Because God is so creative. I don't think it's going to come the way I think it's going to come either. I'm not saying I know the way it's going to happen. But we've got to be aware of Him. We've got to understand this worship thing is... I don't really have time to go into it. Worship is this. In the Old Testament, they were commanded to go to the temple and worship. In the New Testament, we're the temple. We have to have this heart of worship in us. Yes. It has to be in us. Whether it's me and you or me and him, we have to have this heart of worship. Yeah. It's not, we don't have to gather together to have that. We, we do need to gather together to have it, but we need to be people of worship. I mean, just it doesn't, it doesn't have to be 
this long, drawn-out six songs. It, it, it can be five minutes here, 20 minutes there, repentance and worship. Now, here's something the Lord's been telling me for a, a while, so I'm going to just share it with you for a few minutes. When Tammy has something to tell me that I may or may not want to hear, and it's pretty much don't want to hear, and it's a serious conversation that we need to have, she typically will pray and wait for the Lord to tell her now's the time. Because she knows that if he tells her now's the time, that I'll be open to what she has to say. Okay? And so, you know, it's a very important conversation. But the more urgent something is, the less she's concerned about whether or not it's going to hurt my feelings. If it's real urgent... And we got it's and we got to talk about it. We're gonna speak now, and my feelings. It doesn't matter what my feelings are. We're gonna talk now because it's urgent. All right. I believe the time is urgent for the church. I believe this is an urgent season, and it's time to speak now. I've been talking about some subjects for ten weeks now, and since I started, I just knew the Lord was telling me something. But since I began to speak these ways, I've heard other preachers all over this nation saying many of the same things that I'm saying. It's urgent. It's time now. I understand the church is supposed to be a safe place. That's only with regard to our love and respect for God and one another. It's not with respect to avoiding the truth. The truth of the scripture just to keep from hurting someone's feelings. And we don't hurt anybody's feelings on purpose, but we have to speak truth no matter whose feelings it hurt. I mean, I think the church is headed for a crash unless we alter course. Let me read you a couple of things. Haggai chapter 1, verse 4. It is time for you, O ye, to dwell in your sealed houses and this house lie waste. God's asking them a question. They're supposed to be building the temple and they're all working on their house. Now, therefore, thus saith the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. You've sown much and bring in little. You eat, but have not enough. You drink, but are not filled with drink. You clothe you, but there is none warm. There is he that earneth, and he that earneth wages, earneth wages to put into bags with holes in them. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. I believe the Lord would say to the church of the United States right now, consider your ways. Consider your ways. When it says you dwell, uh, it, it says, he says, he says you dwell in your sealed houses. The word dwell means to sit down. It means to relax. The word sealed it has to be talk about paneled ceilings, but it, one of the definitions means to hide by covering. So what, what the Lord is saying is, is why are you sitting down and hiding in your little kingdoms? when the kingdom needs to stand and fight the present attack that's on the church. Consider your ways. I believe the Lord is telling the church to stand up. We're seeing the fruit come to pass. There is no harvest. We're finding, we're finding there's no filling. There's no heat of the Spirit. There, there's a massive, there's been a, since the lockdown has occurred in the church overall, there's been a massive loss of people, a massive loss of finances in ministries all over this country. People left and they're not coming back because they realized their life was not affected by what the church was doing and that nothing changed. 
when they didn't go. I believe that the age of the charismatic megachurch as we know it may be collapsing right now. I'm not trying to be a person of bad news because I believe revival's on the way. Those people who think they can go back to the way things have been the past decade as the church has been sleepwalking through the motions of church activity are headed to this place of being just religious. Remember when we got spirit-filled in the 70s? All those denominational churches were just religious and we left them. If the church doesn't wake up, that's what will happen. Many churches will never recover from what I call the mask parade of 2020. It's, the Lord said, consider your ways. The, that, that little phrase means to put your heart on the right path. He's saying, put the Lord's kingdom first and your own plans and your own kingdoms a distant second. We live in the age of celebrity preachers and celebrity pastors. And no one wants to risk the thing they've built all of their lives. But it's time for the church to take a stand. The Lord says in Jeremiah chapter 4, verse 3, For thus saith the Lord to the men of Judah and Jerusalem, Break up your fallow ground and sow not among the thorns. He, Hosea chapter 10, verse 12, Sow yourselves in righteousness, Reap in mercy, break up your fallow ground, for it's time to seek the Lord till he come and rain righteousness upon you. This is a powerful word. The word of the Lord to the church in the United States today is break up your fallow ground. It's time to seek the Lord. What is fallow ground? What, what does that even mean? Fallow ground is uncultivated ground that has no seed of value. It has no crop to harvest. It has weeds. It has rocks. It's unproductive because no seed of value has been sown. It's just allowed to be what it is. The church has become fallow ground because preachers are afraid to preach the truth that may be unpopular and may not be politically correct. They're cowards. They're afraid. They don't want to offend anyone because it may cost members, which would cost dollars. And they're afraid. Preachers today are no longer the mouthpieces of the Lord. They become echoes of the culture, refusing to stand for righteousness because they need to be popular in order to maintain their own little comfortable sealed houses. The ground is fallow. It needs to be plowed. It needs the sharp point of God's messengers of power speaking God's truth in love and authority without the fear of what man can do to them. These plowers need to plow straight, furrowed rows and rid God's house of the weeds, the rocks, and the trash. The seed needs to be sown. The ground needs the real seed of the Word of God, not just felt need messages. I don't know about you, but I don't need six weeks of how to be healed of all my hurt feelings. I'm old enough, and this is what I say. 
Get over it. That's how you get healed of it. I understand that's it's deeper than that. Listen, the ground needs the Word of God. There isn't enough heat of passion or challenge in many sermons today to melt a snowflake. And there are lots of them out there. As we're teaching our series on finding your safe place in the midst of microaggressions. We need the Word of God. It is sharp. It's a two-edged sword. It divides asunder between the soul and the spirit. Between the thoughts and the intents of the heart. We need the Word of God to be sown in authority. I mean, the little bit of Word that's sown in many sermons... I mean, you know, those are the sermons that are built around this and and they throw in the scripture here every now and then just as a reference point with no actual teaching of the word or valuing of it. That that word has no chance to root in a fallow field. It's got to be plowed up. We as the church must make disciples. The job of the church is to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. That does not mean to be greeters at the door. It includes that, but it's the work of the ministry. It's the taking of the gospel into a world that needs him. I mean, the church needs to train and equip soldiers to fight the fight of faith. They've got to know. I mean, I'm telling you, fear is rampant in our society today. We're afraid of a virus because the CDC and the media are telling us to be afraid of it. We're afraid of the riots in the streets because Black Lives Matter tell us that that's the most important thing and that it's right to do that. Listen, that is the fear is there. We've got to have enough word in us to be able to stand against that stuff, to know what to do. I mean, we've got to. There's got to be a sense of urgency. If we sow in righteousness, the Bible says we will, we, 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 we will, we will reap righteousness. I mean, the church needs to stand on the Word of God. Righteousness is right as God sees it, not right as society sees it. Listen to these verses of Scripture. 2 Timothy chapter 3. I'm going to read several verses here. Verses 1 through 9 and then 15, 12 and then 15 and 17. It says, This know that in the last days perilous times shall come. We know, we, I've read that to you many, many times. Because that's very prophetic. These are perilous times. You realize that, I think. Now listen to these, we're getting ready to list some bad stuff here. For men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasures, more than lovers of God. That's a bad group of people, right? I mean, this is talking about what's happening in the world we live in today. Now, I'm not, I don't have time in this, in this teaching to talk about all of those. And maybe later in the future we'll, we'll talk about all those. But I'm going to go. That's verses 1 through 4. This is verse 5. It's still listing some characters that are not the right ones. Having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. From such, turn away. What? This is talking about behaviors that are not right. Now, when I got spirit-filled, I remember we read that verse of Scripture. And you know what it referred to? All those churches that were not (laughs) spirit-filled. 
right? I mean, I don't know if you ever heard that, but it's like, yeah, they deny the power of godliness. I mean, they, they, they deny the power. Well, could that today be talking about the modern charismatic church? Are, th- are there displays of power? There's a form of godliness, but there's a denial of the power. Not in theology, not in the doctrine of the, not the litter, not, not, so, not what's written down. But there's a denial of the power. There has to be a time of figuring it out and turning away from that. Ooh, this is really sobering, isn't it? <laughs> That's the name of this message is Be Sober, if I get that far. For of this sort are they which creep into houses and lead captive silly women laden with sins, led away with divers' lusts, ever learning and never being able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Man, that goes on all the time. Never coming to a knowledge of the truth. Listen to this next verse. is interesting. Now as Janus and Jambres withstood Moses... So do these also resist the truth. Men of corrupt minds reprobate concerning the faith. Now that's an interesting verse. Do you know who Janus and Jambres were? Remember when Moses went before Pharaoh and he had the rod? And he's standing there and he says, let my people go. And, and, and Pharaoh's like, who's God and all this? And so Moses throws the stick down and it becomes a snake. Remember that? And then these guys come up and they got their sticks and they threw theirs down. That was Janus and Jambres. They threw down their stick. And Moses' stick, or his snake now, ate their snake. The real will ultimately swallow up the imitation. The real authority of God swallowed up the fake snakes. I mean, the fake sometimes doesn't take in the presence of Almighty God. Here it says, it says that they withstood him, as do these which also withstand, that resist the truth. Talking about people in these times resisting the truth, the real will swallow it up. Then Moses goes out, and they got new sticks, and Moses had the same stick, and he dips it in the water, it turns to blood. They dipped theirs in the water, it turned to blood. Moses did a couple of more, and finally they got to this place where the fake wouldn't work anymore. And they said, you know what? His God is God. He has the real power. I want you to know that the fake powerless magic can't compete with the authentic power of Almighty God. It cannot compete. For a little while it looks like it's the same, but it's not. I mean, these guys, they were trying to compete with him, but it did not work. Verse 9 is a powerful verse. It says, let me read verse 8, and I'll read it with verse 9. Now, Janus and Jambres, as Janus and Jambres withstood Moses, so do these who also resist the truth. These people don't like the truth. Men of corrupt minds reprobate concerning the faith. Listen to this. But they shall proceed no further, for their folly shall be manifest unto all men as theirs also was. That needs to be the statement of the church. The lies we're hearing the lies of fear, 
the lies of, of, of all these, these things that are coming at us, we need to make the declaration, it will go no further. It proceeds no further. The folly, the lie, will be manifest unto all men as Janice and Jambry's lie was manifest. We believe God that the lie is made manifest and that the truth is established. We believe God. It goes on to say, Yea, all that live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. That's the worst verse in the chapter. What does that say? It's not that suffer persecution. It's not talking about having to suffer from, from cancer or a car wreck. Persecution has to do with the people of God who stand up for Jesus Christ. In this hour, who take a stand. You know what? It's not wrong to suffer persecution for your faith. Amen. That was a good time to say amen. We cannot be cowards in this time. Tammy told me the other day, the Lord was reminding her, have courage, have courage. She's like, why do I need to have courage? She's like, well, I don't know if I want that or not. We've got to have courage in this hour. It's going to take a church that is spirit-filled, strong in God. It says in verse 15, And that from a child thou hast known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith, which also is in Jesus Christ. He said, to, to Timothy in particular, he said, You know, from a child you've known the Scripture. Because he talks earlier about his, his mother and grand, grandmother. He says, From a child you've known the Scripture. Many of us in this room, we've been in and around church since we were kids. We've known, we've known what the Bible says. I mean, we've known the story of Joshua. We've known the, the stories in the Bible. We've known about Zacchaeus. You know, we sang the wee little song and all that stuff. We know all that. But look what it says here. You've known the Holy Scriptures, which are able. The Scriptures are able. The word able is, is a derivative of the word dunamis. He says the Scripture has supernatural miracle power. The Scripture. That's why we teach the Scripture. Because it contains the miracle power of God that it is able to make thee wise unto salvation. Which is, the word salvation is a derivative of the Greek word sozo. He says the Scripture has the supernatural power already in it to rescue you, to deliver you, to make you whole and make you well. If people don't know the Scripture... They, they, they don't know any of that. And there's no miracle power available. Oh, yeah, we may tell them the six ways that psychology will help them. But they need to know the Word of God. I'm not, I'm not trying to defame psychology here. What I'm saying is, it's the Word of God. It's the Word. What do you do when you go to the doctor and he says, there's no hope for you? You bet you need to know the Scripture. It contains the miracle power to save you. And then it says, through faith, which is in Jesus Christ. Faith comes by hearing and hearing the Word of God. We've got to have the Word. All Scripture says is given by inspiration of God is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect and thoroughly furnished in all good works. The questions we have the answers are in the Scripture of God. We need to know that God wants to do something. We've got to take the Word. It's got to be taught. 
not 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 slick sermons and 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 stand-up comedians wannabes. The word, taking the word, it's got to be done. Here's my text. Are you ready? What time is it? Oh. I'm going to read it anyway. I'm going to give you a definition before we go. First Peter 5, verse 8 says this. Be sober. Be vigilant. Because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about, seeking whom he may devour, whom resists steadfast in the faith. The church, individuals in the church, must resist the devil, must learn how to resist him. The spirit of this age is becoming more and more overtly demonic. I mean, they're not even trying to hide it. The spirit of rage, rioting, and anarchy. They are from hell and are demonically inspired. There is no justification for them, no matter how rationalized they may sound. They must be resisted. Today's pastors must take a stand against them and quit standing in the way of truth. The church mustn't agree with the agenda of hatred in the name of inclusion and the false narrative of white privilege and systematic racism. We must take a stand on what is true. The church cannot be silent for fear of losing our 501c3 status. We have a 501c3 status. We're thinking of just handing it back to them and saying, you can take it for what it's worth. Even though we spend a lot of money to get it. The spirit of fear. Man, it's got to be resisted. It's got to be resisted. It said the devil is seeking whom he may devour. He can't devour everyone. He's looking for the ones he can. He says like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. I don't know if you've ever seen how lions hunt, but lions live in a pride, and there are several of them. And the older lion, the older male lion, is, is in charge, kind of the president of the pride. And he's in charge. Now, he's old, and he's not as fast as the young lions in the pride. But he has the loudest roar and has the neatest-looking mane of all of them. And so this lion separates from the herd, the pride, and he goes around to the other side of the herd that they're wanting to attack, they want to eat. And he goes over there, the pride is back over here. He goes over here and he roars really loud. What I figured out is that antelope must be really stupid because they fall for it every single time. <laughs> he goes and he roars and they go nuts because they are not being sober. They're just out of their minds in fear. And they run every which way. And the one that doesn't happen to go with the crowd because he doesn't know what to do, he gets eaten. I mean, he scares them. Fear is what the enemy wants to do to you today. He wants to do it to the church. One time, I was in India... And we were preaching. We were doing a crusade in this town called Miriyalaguda, which was about a three-hour drive from Hyderabad, India. So on the way, we stopped. The, 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 they wanted us to do two days of going to uh, these tribal villages in India that may, were about 100 people in each, each village. And these people had never one time ever heard the name of Jesus. And so we preached the gospel to these tribes. And I mean... I mean, I'm preaching in English. The next guy's preaching in Telugu, which is the language of that area. And then the third guy's preaching in the native language of these people. 
You know, and they'd never heard about Jesus. Not one time had they heard. And I remember saying to them that God became a man and died for their sins. And blah, blah, blah. They got to this lady. This lady says to the chief of the tribe, and she says, wait, we never had a God that died for our sins. And then she said, I know, so shut up and listen to him. <laughs> and when it came time, they all wanted Jesus because they needed that. They wanted that. Anyway, so we, we were out there. So we had to spend one night in this house that they called the guest house. And we're at this guest house. It's got one bedroom. One bathroom, which in India, that's a whole other adventure. And, and, and so they have this bedroom. And this bedroom has a bed, a, twi- a double bed, has a chase lounger, a couch, and a chair. There are five guys. There are five of us there. And so we get there. We get in the room. We look up into the rafters of this room. And, I mean, you can just see the big old spiders up in there. Well, that's not going to be a very comfortable night's sleep. You already know that. One guy has a Coke, and he opens or a Pepsi. They don't have Coke there. Opens his Pepsi, and it's, and it's spewed out on the wall. And within seconds, it was covered with ants. So we're like, oh, this is going to be a great night. Nobody's taking off their clothes. I mean, it's, it's 120 degrees during the day. It cools down to almost right below 100 at night. And, the, and there's no electricity out here except there's light. There's no air conditioning. And so we're there, so we've got to leave the door open. And so we can at least try to get some kind of breeze. It's hot. We're laying on these beds. And so we're getting ready to go to bed, go to sleep. All of a sudden, this dog comes in. Ugly, ugly dog. And, and we're, we're there, and so we're getting up to shoo the dog out. We didn't want this flea-bitten dog. We already had a gun of bugs. So we're trying to shoo the dog out, and the interpreter who's sleeping in the van comes running in and says, no, 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 no. The dog has to stay. When the dog barks, the cobra will flee. <laughs> the cobra will flee. So there are five grown men. We're trying to find out how to sleep in these, in these. So we finally, it's like two in the morning maybe, the dog barked. You have never seen five grown men move that fast in your life. I mean, we are on the bed and we're looking down. One guy has his little pen light. We're looking for this cobra, you know. We never saw a cobra. But we were scared as if we saw one. We tried to settle back down. A little later, the dog barks again. We went through the same thing again. The cobra. We never saw a cobra, but we were scared of the cobra. And I'm thinking the interpreter was in the van laughing his tail off. (laughs) The devil wants you to be so afraid that you don't think. That you think like a mad person. There, whether it was a cobra or not, I don't know, but we didn't get eaten by it anywhere a bit. It's interesting. He says, he's like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. The word devour is an interesting word in this verse. We, devour, we have this vision of a lion eating the meat of a dead animal. But, but the Greek word for devour, the word is pino in the Greek, which doesn't mean to devour. It doesn't mean to eat at all. It means to drink. Isn't that interesting? The King James translators didn't think that translated well, so they just made it be devour instead of drink. Because he's like a roaring lion seeking whom he may drink. The picture is a lion hovering over the carcass of a dead beast, and the flesh is already gone. All that's left is the bones and the fluids of the animal. And the lion is slurping up the juices. That's what's being said here. He's telling us, Peter's using that word because he wants you to know 
that the devil wants to mess us up, maul us, victimize us, take us down, not just to devour us, but to so totally consume us that there's nothing left but the juices that he can slurp up what remains. You need to know something tonight. All the demands that are being made by the rioters, if we met every demand, if we met every demand, They will not stop. It's not about that. It's not about, it's not about any of that. They want to make sure. The devil is the one orchestrating it. And he wants to make sure that there's nothing left of the church in this country. They want the voice of God to be totally silenced in the United States. And that's what they're after. So the church has to, number one, and we'll give you this definition. We don't have to do the rest. I don't have time for the rest of the teaching, and I will do more next time. The church, first of all, has to be sober. What does that even mean? The word is nepho in the Greek. It means to be sober, not drunk. It means to be free from the deliriums, delusions, and hallucinations that may accompany drunkenness. To think straight, not like a silly drunk. To be free of silly thinking, and hence be able to have the presence of mind and clear judgment, enabling one to be in control of his thinking rather than be controlled by urges, impulses, whims, and fluctuating emotions, to have one's wits about him, to be rational, the opposite of irrational, to be free from a drunken state in which one drops his guard and is more likely to give way to foolish behavior, unreasonable conversations, detrimental decisions, to be serious-minded. The verse here is telling us we've got to be serious-minded. We've got to have our wits about us. We cannot allow the roar of the lion to scare us into a frenzy that makes us not be able to think straight. Christians today, I mean, the media is working on us and working on us and working on us. I mean, they're doing everything they can to make us be afraid, make us see there's no way out. We've got to be sober. We've got to be vigilantly, we've got to be vigilant, but we've got to be sober. We've got to have our minds clear. That's going to take time in the Word of God. Let me just say this to you. If you're not spending more time in the Word than you are watching the news, you're going to be the one that gets scared. Your fear is self-inflicted. We've got to take time. We've got. To, he said, whom resists steadfast in the faith in the next verse. We've got to have enough word to have faith to stand. We can be sober. We can have our minds. We have the mind of Christ. But we've got to make sure that we take time in God's word until faith rises in our hearts. You can't sleep at night. You need to get the word in your heart. I mean, you've got to take time because we win if we understand the Bible. We win. It may not look like it's looked the last 10 years, but in the end, we win. It may be different. We win. We don't have to be afraid. But we've got to be sober. We've got to have our minds. I was watching the news. And I used to, I quit watching the national news a long time ago because they were lying to me. So I sort of, I, was, I thought the local news was fine. Then I realized they were lying to me too. <laughs> and so I'm watching the news one night and I'm going, and I, and I, I answer them out loud because I don't let them just talk to me and not say anything. 
And so I'm, I'm like, they were saying something. I said, you're lying. You're lying. <laughs> you're lying. And the Lord says, well, then why are you listening to them? <laughs> so now I turn it on time to watch the weather. I hope they're not lying. I don't know. <laughs> but we need to be sure we fill ourselves with God's word. We've got to resist steadfast in the faith. Let's pray. Father, tonight I thank you for your word. I thank you, God, that we are people of courage. I thank you, Holy Spirit, that you show us what to do. You show us when to do it. I thank you for the word of God. I thank you for the word of God that it is able to do what it's supposed to do. Father, we choose to be sober. We choose to be vigilant. We choose, God, your way. We plow the fallow ground. We break it up with your word. Father, tonight I thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.